Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. This episode is brought to you by Philo. Do you love TV? Do you love saving money? Then Philo is your solution. Philo has shows, movies, and live TV for just $25 a month. You can even try it for free with their seven-day free trial. No contracts, no commitments, no hassles, just a better way to watch TV. Never miss a minute of shows like the hit docuseries Where is Wendy Williams or classics such as Friends. If you can't get enough TV, then there's no better way to watch. Philo has more than 70 channels like BET, MTV, and AMC. And the best part? You can try it yourself with their seven-day free trial. Sign up today at philo.tv slash poppods. That's P-H-I-L-O dot TV slash P-O-P-P-O-D-S to get 50% off your first month. Hey, this is Mark Striegel of Talking Metal. And once again, what we're going to do today is play out a recent edition of my other podcast, one of my other podcasts, called Metal Raps here on the Talking Metal feed. I don't do this with every episode of Metal Raps, but you guys do seem to like it. So I'm going to, once again, put a Metal Raps episode, a recent Metal Raps episode out over the Talking Metal feed. If you don't like it, don't listen. If you do like it, I suggest you go and subscribe to Metal Raps on iTunes. It would also be great if you could leave a review for Metal Raps on iTunes. And that's about it. We'll get right into the episode. I do want to remind you that we have a PayPal tab on TalkingMetal.com. I know a lot of you guys like to make a donation in the, uh, the, during the holiday season, which it is right now. So please uh, feel free. I would greatly appreciate a PayPal donation to Talking Metal. We've been without a sponsor now for a little while, so it would be excellent to have a little support from the listeners if you can i know not everyone is in the financial situation to do so but if you can we would love it thanks so much and here is episode eight of metal raps with myself mitch joel and mitch lafon well hey there and welcome to episode number eight of metal raps my name is mitch joel and i'm really excited to be back here this week with talking metals mark striegel mark how are you good mitch how are you? I'm great, thanks. And as well as with one-on-one with Mitch LaFon, the one and only Mitch LaFon. Good day, everybody. It's glad to be back. Always a pleasure. So as usual, we kick the show off talking a little bit about uh, who we've spoken to, what's been going on. Mark, Mitch, what you got? Uh, let's start. Mark, anything? What's coming up on Talking Metal? Yeah, actually, Mitch LaFon hooked me up with an interview with Jason Becker, who I know he spoke with uh, a month or two ago. Yeah. and. 
it was just a real pleasure to speak with the guy and we got heavily and, and deep into uh, a discussion about his time with David Lee Roth and some some real interesting stuff about songs that he was playing with Roth, songs that he wrote with Roth that didn't end up on the record and uh, just great to talk with him. And uh, hopefully, I'm, I'm hopeful that I uncovered a little more info that was unknown about his time with with david lee roth so stay tuned to talking metal for that interview this will be the greatest thing ever mark if you <laughs> scoop mitch lafon on <laughs> jason becker info that he set up for you i think there's some sort of vortex in the world that kills us all when that happens no no i mean mitch's interview was great and he got so into the uh not only Jason's career, but just Jason's lifestyle and, and yeah. the relationship with his father. So I actually purposely didn't go that direction and, and just really stuck to uh, to the music that he produced back in the late 80s, early 90s. If I can ask you, Mark, what was it like for you to interview him in terms of the pacing, in terms of the flow? Because, you know, when you speak to a Joe Perry or a, or a George Lynch, you, you get into a flow and a rhythm. But with Jason, because of the way it's set up, you have to sort of stop. Was that difficult for you, challenging, annoying? Yeah, I think it was a a little challenging. And I also, the whole time, was kind of thinking, well, this is going to be challenging to the the listener. And I kind of decided halfway through doing the interview that I'm going to actually sit down and type this up, transcribe it all, too. Because I think... um, it, it's it, the stuff he's saying is important, and I know that there are going to be certain people who won't have the patience to to listen to it because when Jason talks, he talks through his father, and things are spelled out, and at times it it is um, a little disjointed and hard to follow. Yeah, it's, mm. it's almost like a guessing game for his dad on, uh, until he gets the right answer, and and so yeah. And, and, you know, Mitch sort of like blew the opportunity to talk about who he spoke to because he, he like name dropped into your thing, which is clearly <laughs> <laughs> right? Sorry. like, like you're on my mind. What can I tell exactly. you? Exactly. So, you, you, I mean, Mitch, you had, you had a great week. I mean, you got George Lynch. You had the one and only Steve Perry. Do tell. No, not Joe Steve. Perry. Joe, Joe Perry. Yeah, Joe, of, sorry, of Steve Perry. Smith. Steve yeah. Perry would be good too, but it would be a great week. But go ahead, Joe Perry. Yeah, well, you know, I actually interviewed Steve Perry back in 2004, which was sort of him coming out of the shadows. But yeah, no, this week, uh, George Lynch, you know, he's got that Sweet and Lynch uh, project with um, Michael Sweet of Striper. And of course, uh, Joe Perry, he's got a Christmas EP and... Um, I got an email saying, hey, he's got an EP. Want to talk to Joe? And it's like, well, yeah, of course I want to talk to Joe. Who doesn't want to talk to Joe? And what was great about it is uh, I was given an exactly an incredibly hard 20 minutes, no more than 20. Uh, mm. So what Joe did is he phoned 10 minutes ahead of time. And so when my 520 slot ended, I got to start at 450. So I got half an hour with Joe, and it was just an absolute thrill. We got to talk about the Done With Mirrors album. We got to talk about um, what kind of album he wants to make in the future with Aerosmith. And obviously the answer is another Rocks album. He really wants – they really like that Rocks album. Um, Just a great chat. I really uh, hope people get to to listen in. And uh, on that episode, I have Matt Starr, who was Ace Fraley's drummer also. He's with Mr. Big now as a drummer. Uh, co-host so just a, a fun episode all around 
That's really good. It's funny too. Like when I hear that Joe Perry's got a Christmas EP out and you're dealing with the PR people, I always get that sort of tinge in my heart back in the day when I was doing a substantial amount of interviews, they would always be like, you have 20 minutes with Joe Perry, but you can only talk about the Christmas EP. Right. <laughs> you're like, what? what? <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. You know, they gave me, um, they gave me no instructions about what we could talk about. That's great. That's great. Which is really, really great. You know, um, I also interviewed the, a guy named Kyle, who's the basis for Hell Yeah, and that's going to come out a, li- a bit later. And of course, um, I asked a question about the drummer's brother, and right away, uh, somebody got on the phone and said, no, you can't ask that. So, wow. um, you know, uh, w- oh, which is oh. fair. I, you know, I respect that. I, I, I moved along. I but, might have a I might have a little Rick Allen shopping mall rant here, but I'll yeah. let it go. <laughs> <laughs> so, Mitch Joel, we wanted to ask you who you spoke with this week. I had a lot of interesting. Co- no, I mean, listen, it's a strange thing. I sort of went into metal raps as a sort of uh, resurgence of my interest in, in music after a, a massive gap. And uh, a while back, I had some. I played a little bit of electric bass, and I have a passion for that instrument. And I had this sort of strange connection through the sort of business thought leadership world that I do, uh, in terms of one of these people being partnered with this person who happens to run one of the largest. Um, online communities and online publications for bass players. And we'd been having conversations back and forth. And the truth be told, you know, we had the conversation about metal raps. And I thought, well, this would be an easier thing for me, you know, 15, 20 minutes here every once in a while. So we moved forward with that. And then this thing sort of just started rolling a little bit. And um, I guess the catalyst for this is that there's going to be a a Jacko Pastorius documentary coming out very soon. Jacko Pastorius is one of the most well-known bass players of all time influenced everybody you can imagine mostly a jazz fusion guy mind you um and one of the main people behind this movie and actually recovering jacko's infamous bass because jacko's story is is quite sorted and tailed towards the end was robert chihilo from metallica and um this they want to launch their their podcast for this online publication with Robert Trujillo, and they asked me if I would be the host of the podcast. So it's like, talk about trial by fire. My first podcast interview in like God knows how many years with a, with a music artist is Robert Trujillo from Metallica. And, and Mitch, uh, unlike, unlike your uh, little in- interaction with the PR people, uh, this was quite the opposite, where the community of bass players is actually very – it's almost like a secret society, and they want to help each other out, and they want to be a part of the community uh, very badly. And basically, it was one of those uh, whatever you need. And I spent over an hour wow. uh, this week speaking to Robert Trujillo, uh, and uh, definitely not just about the movie we spent or Jacko's life. We spent a ton of time talking about Metallica. He was actually Skyping in from Metallica HQ. It was during the crazy storms that they were having out in San Francisco, and I think he was basically living out of there. Um, don't 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 feel bad. I'm sure Metallica HQ is probably better than most four-star hotels. <laughs> right. Probably. Um, and it was a really interesting conversation about creating new music after five years as Metallica. He spoke a lot, and I thought really candidly about who runs the show there and what it means and what it means to be a bass player, what his contributions are, uh, how he feels about the scene. And I'm really excited to launch that podcast. And again, I'm being somewhat vague because it hasn't been announced on their platform yet, right. uh, but, but it's going to happen really, really soon. And the other, the, the most amazing part of it is you talk about the commu- this community of people. Um, he was basically saying, who can I introduce you to? And 
I can't go into the names of who he said he's going to introduce me to. And he's always already started through email and, and texting. And it just sort of makes me feel like I never left the industry because of the sudden access. And of course, I'm realizing that it, this has primarily to do with the fact that, you know, I think bases feel like they have to watch out for each other in the world. But having that sort of, uh, you know, really unrestrained conversation. And we really talked a lot about creating music and creativity and wow. being in this band. Um, his, I, I'll tell you one little piece of, of interesting thing because it's tied into the top. We wanted to talk a little bit about sort of what was the best stuff of, of 2014 is he talked a little bit about his disappointment in the Metallica by request tour and only that he was like, I'm just surprised that it wound up being a greatest hit show. Like, I thought that if we left it to the fans, we would yeah. get all these really obscure, crazy songs that the band wanted to play, that they had practiced, that they learned. And he said it was an interesting thing to realize that the minute tickets go on sale for Metallica, it's almost like the diehard fans, the numbers don't even count compared to the mass audience that just wants to see the crazy hits and choose those hits. Um, so that was interesting. And also him talking about the current writing process of where Metallica's at right now uh, with all of this new music. And um, talked a lot about, we talked a lot about Lulu um, and <laughs> Lou Reed. Uh, we why? talked a lot about that. Well, I'll tell you why. It's <laughs> an interesting question. I, I think why is because is he when, when, when Lou Reed is alive, right. the story is very different than when Lou Reed is dead. True. Um, like and so, artist. yeah. And, and so, listen, was he embarrassed? They were not embarrassed at all. And I think they were not embarrassed at all for all the right reasons. They are very, very creative as a unit, whether it's making movies in IMAX 3D, whether it's, you know, you could go down the list of things that they have done. They are willing to lose a lot of money and time in the creative process of seeing what happens. And while it may not have been everyone's taste, they enjoyed the creative process of them not being the leader, of letting him be the leader. Right. Um, and it was a really deep conversation. And I thought, you know, I'm just getting the old sort of rust out of, out of uh, off the engine, as it were. And after it was nice to sort of hear him, hear his notes, and forwarding it to other people, saying, "I just had a great conversation." So it, it was a uh, it was interesting. And literally, guys, when I can say who it is and when it'll be published and will be soon, we'll leave a link for everybody to check it out. But um, an, an hour with Trujillo, and it was no holds barred. It was great. Wow. That's awesome. I cannot wait to hear that. And I will go on record saying that I actually like Lulu. I'm a big oh fan God. of that album. Oh yeah. There's God. a lot of that. And there's a lot of people now who are who are really talking about some of the songs really resonating after several listens. Some look, we live in a very fast-paced world, guys, right? And so we hear something once and it's like it's terrible. We don't let stuff sink in. And I think sometimes after you let it sink in, you can appreciate certain areas and components of it. And some people are gonna have the Mitch LaFon reaction, which is dear Lord, what happened? Let's 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 yeah. shift gears a little bit. Let's Let's talk about 2014, the year that was. Yep. Um, before we get into specific albums and tours, I thought I would ask you guys, what do you what were some of sort of some of the bigger themes that you thought were interesting in 2014 that you loved about the scene? Um, I'll go first just to sort of give you guys some time to think, but I felt this whole residency concept. Right. This idea of bands that we love playing multiple nights in smaller venues with, you know, these sort of VIP packages and sort of it's more of like this sort of really fan intimate thing is a growing trend that I hope continues and I hope it it, it goes beyond Vegas. I hope it goes to cities and I really love and I don't know if it's social media or or what it is, this sort of closening of bands 
to their fans and making these really intimate moments happen. So for me, one of the bigger themes of 2014 that I saw was a lot of that in very different ways. But to me, that was something that really touched my soul a little bit. I don't know. Uh, Mitch, do you want to go first? Yeah, you know, I, I enjoy that. But you're, you're right in the sense that if it just stays to Vegas, it's going to be this in my backyard and nobody else is going to see it. We're all going to have to travel. Uh, the other thing that, that's sort of similar are these cruises. And you, you, I get sort of a, a different reaction. I get a feeling that people are being excluded. If you don't have two, three, four thousand dollars $4,000 to spend on a trip, you're not part of the party. And so, you know... I hope they can tour. The problem is a lot of the bands I like from the 80s, they can't fill a club with 60 people for a night, much less a residency in any But that's why, Mitch, you save up your money for all those shows you would have gone to and you do the one cruise. You're getting a vacation and all that together. You see, huh? Huh? Did I sell you on it? No? Okay. (laughs) Well, that and the fact I don't like boats. No, but, uh, (laughs) you know, I think... And just for Mitch, they're going to (laughs) tour. But but I think if if you're going to do a residency, you have to do something unique. You have to do something completely different. And you look at a band like Kiss, because we always talk about Kiss... I thought their residency where they played 9, 10, 11 nights and did the same set list was a failure because that's you shouldn't do that. You should really – could have. Yeah, they could have done like one night is Dynasty. One night is hotter than yes. hell. Yeah, one but if is. you went to the show, which I saw two of those shows, I, I walked away thinking eh, they probably couldn't have done that because the pyro – there was more pyro than I've ever seen at any KISS show. Yeah. And it was, it was in sync and timed out to every single song. And I, I, I mean, just like a Broadway show, like you can't really mix things up every well, night see, I, I've because heard of that the staging. I, I think that, that, that that's maybe one of the reasons things were so uh, locked in at that show. Yeah, Mark, but- let's talk. Let's talk, we're, not, we're not doing a whole conversation on residencies. Mark, let's go. Let's hop to your theme of 2014. So I want to make time to, so we can hear some albums too. Mark. Yeah, yeah. Well, I thought one interesting theme uh, that – a friend of mine just wrote an article about for the Wall Street Journal is that vinyl has mm. gone up 49% in sales since 2013, one year ago. 49%. We're talking nearly 8 million vinyl LP records sold in 2014, which I think is is interesting. I sat up last night listening to, to – vinyl on my record player and it is a different sound i'm i'm one of the guys that believes vinyl is superior to everything which we don't have to have that argument tonight but i just wanted to see what 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 you guys of this trend that has been poo-pooed by people like back in 2012 somebody saying oh it's just a fad vinyl will will never last but each year we're seeing it grow more and more and again up 49 percent since 2013 this year Vinyl is the music fans yoga, right? That's what this is. It's your ability to – because it's not portable. You got to carve out time, 
set up the room, have a moment, maybe a glass of wine now because right. we're older and have some money. Uh, it, it's one of those things. So I actually think it's that where we are looking as in, in a very fast-paced, pinging, friending, liking world, that sort of moment where we can go back a little bit in time and have the gate fold and have some art and just really relax sitting focused on music. So I think it's a bigger trend than just vinyl. I think it ties into the sort of the wow. yoga trend. I really oh, do think yeah. it's an important thing. Um, but for me, I mean, just my lifestyle, you know, good on you, Mark, because we both have kids with, at similar ages. I, I just, I'm like, I, I'm like, just put it on my, if I can't even stream it from RDO or, 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 or Spotify, I'm like, forget about it. But that, right. but I, but, but I don't disagree that the warmth you get from that needle is absolutely amazing. Mitch, what do you think? Uh, well, the, the two Mitches are going to agree on this one. This, it sounds better. It's warmer. It's great because it means that people are engaged with music and they want music and they're, you know, buying music. That's all wonderful. I need to get places and I need to have music in my pocket. <laughs> Period. I just don't have time to come no, back. Right. I just don't have time for that. I, I need convenience. I need it in my car. I need it on my headphones. I need it at work. I just can't do the whole vinyl thing. You know, and if I do have an hour to listen to an album, I don't want to have to get up after half an hour and turn it over. I just want to keep going. So, you know, but anything that encourages the purchase of music, the, the, the promulgation of, of the scene, great. Go for it. So, yeah, you know, it's, it's great. It's not for me, but it's great. All right, guys, so let's talk about some of the albums that influ influence us the most uh, in 2014. Um, now, I'm going to caution Mitch. I'm sure you've got a list that's longer than my arm, so keep it tight and reasonable. Ah, well, you know, actually, I, I plan on putting my list up on my Facebook and all that wonderful stuff. I've got 14 for 14, but I'm going to stick to like three or four. Just I was going to say give us two. Okay. Let's right. do two. Give us the top two, buddy. Uh, you know, the two that I really enjoyed this year were uh, Gothard, the album Bang, and then I also quite enjoyed Electric Boy's Starflight United. Mm, I, okay, Mark, I don't know about you. Those were two I did not expect to see coming at all. I've got yeah. no comment on because I've heard neither. <laughs> I, yeah, I, I enjoy um, well, both. I will mention California Breed, okay. which I thought was just incredible as probably my number one record of 2014 bruce bouillet's the order of control which i mentioned last week um i will also quickly mention red dragon cartel the self-titled record which some people didn't like i loved it i think every song is is just incredible and it's so great to have jakey lee back in the public eye all right, my picks. I got a list here. I'm gonna I'm gonna go with. I love the new Mr. Big album. Um, I I thought it was a great album. Um, the stories we could tell. Great, great album. Now I'm not sure if it was this year or not. So you guys might have to jump on me and have to choose another one. But was the Ronnie James Dio tribute "This Is Your Life" this year? Yes, it was. I believe it was. I yeah, I'm gonna, in April. I'm good. Listen, I I'm one of those guys that when Dio came out, I loved. I definitely loved, but I loved the other stuff more. Like I wasn't into the whole Dungeons and Dragons leathery sort of. There's a fire in your heart type of stuff. As I got more sophisticated and my palate maybe got a lot better for metal, clearly I started understanding the godliness that is Ronnie James Dio, and to hear all of those guys come together for this guy. I thought it was a stellar album. I'll give a little star asterisk bump to uh, Winger. I've always been a Winger fan, and people bashed me back in the day for it, so ba 
bash me again for now, but I thought Better Days Coming was just a great rock album. So those would be um, my cool. three. Um, let's talk some losers. I want to know what, what, what really disappointed uh, this year. Let's go back to Mark. Mark, who disappointed you this year? Uh, off the top of my head, three big disappointments for me were the new 6 a.m. record. I thought it was going to be, you know, their greatest thing yet. Nikki Six, an awesome songwriter. DJ Ashba, awesome songwriter. I, I, I just didn't like it. I didn't think the songs were that great, and I, it felt like boring, watered down corporate FM wannabe rock. Uh, I think the Priest record was a disappointment to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, the production I thought was just awful, and. I, for one, didn't think the songwriting was that great. A lot of people have – I've mentioned this on Facebook and a lot of people have ripped me apart saying the songs were actually great and it was just the production that lacked. But uh, those two off the top of my head, I could give you more if you want them. But, um, no, let's, let's go over to Mitch. Just, uh, we'll probably jam a little. So Mitch, what, what do you got? Well, you know, I went back into the catalogs for this one. The, the new – the McCartney of the songs of Paul McCartney sung by all the world's greatest artists – as it says on the uh, album cover, I just thought it was boring. I just really right. thought it was boring. You have the guys from Def Leppard, from Kiss, from Alice Cooper, uh, Billy Joel, and it just didn't move me. Even Sammy Hager doing Birthday, which you thought would be this great party version of it, which is boring. Um, mm. So major disappointment there. And then, um, you know, I could pick some, some new albums, but the Kiss Love Gun Deluxe, Wow, what a wasted opportunity. They, mm. It's just, you know, uh, you've got a seven-minute interview that was from Shome FM in Montreal, and they labeled it wrong as WGN. You, you've got, you know, Gene Simmons solo outtakes rather than – just the whole thing was was dull. It was uninspired. Um, so those those are the two that I really aimed – you know, there's, there's a few others, but – I'm friends with a lot of the people in those bands. You don't want to throw them under the bus. <laughs> I don't want to throw them under the bus. I'll tell I'll, you off the record. I'll tell you who I'm going to – who I was just – and listen, I don't even know if they had albums out this year to be honest. This whole Queensryche thing to me, just a massive disappointment. Whatever albums came out, I tried to listen. Just the whole thing. I felt that it really sort of came a bit to a head this year and this is a band that I love. Operation Mindcrime is one of the greatest albums of all time. I loved Empire. I loved Rage Forward. I mean, I I just feel like, wow, there's such a missed opportunity now to be able to just deliver those songs in a positive way and just, there's something going on there where I'm like, yes, uh, I just feel that that independent, you know, you know, Jeff on his own, the other guys with the guy from Fate's Warning and I'm just I don't I don't believe either camp can deliver a true no you're right follow up to what we had from that that glorious glorious band so that that would be that would be mine for sure um any other things from this year that sort of you guys really liked or loved that want to bring up Mark was there any other sort of things that happened this year that you thought was really interesting well um the Ace Frehley record which my friend uh, John who I do talking metal with was involved with the record and he got to co-write a song on the record. And, uh, that was kind of personally a big moment for, for me, just cause I've been making music with John and doing podcasts with him forever. And it was just awesome to see him have a co-write on this record. So that was, uh, and I thought the record was, was great. Space Invader by, by Ace really, um, return to form. Yeah. Return to form. And, and, 
say what you want. I, I just love hearing Ace behind the mic delivering songs with the simple, simple lyrics like he always has. And uh, <laughs> I, I just thought, I thought my that laugh, was another my laugh That's a resume. very diplomatic way of saying something else. Yeah, my, my laugh probably yeah. states where I stand. I mean, I've been like, I've been this sort of non-ace guy and I love Kiss probably since day one. Mitch? In terms of albums or in terms of concerts? Just any other, anything that sort of stuck out to you this year that you really sort of loved or thought was really great. Well, then, Two things. The uh, Brian Adams Reckless 30th Anniversary Deluxe Edition. Uh, four discs. There's a Blu-ray version. There's all kinds of unreleased songs, unreleased concert. There's a booklet. There's every song explained. All the. It's just, it is the model of how a deluxe edition should be done. And of course, he's going on tour right now doing this Reckless tour where he's playing the entire album, which which I think is great. But for me, the, the event of the year or, or the marking moment in music was heavy Montreal. They they got Metallica. There was that watershed moment where it wasn't just a few crazy metal fans in Montreal standing in a park going, well, okay, who else is going to show up? It was 80,000 people. It was crazy. It was hot. It, it was It was just, it was Nirvana. I can't believe that Mitch and I have the same one. I was going to say, heavy, heavy, just heavy Montreal, great, yeah? Uh, Metallica? Yeah. Bringing the Metallica by request show to North American shores, one night only, Montreal. The way that they, they put it together to me firmly established the reality that Metallica will, without question, be the Led Zeppelin of my generation. I oh. thought that that was an incredible performance of energy, strength. And whether you love the band or hate the band, this band takes as many bruises as they take accolades. There was, without a doubt, watching those four guys destroy on stage. It was, it was, it was like watching a professional sports team you know, take, take the cup. Absolutely yeah. astounding. Yeah, I mean, was I was like only there for that second day, the day after Metallica played. But as an American coming up there to to witness Slayer play in front of like 50,000 people, I just was was blown away at how strong heavy metal seems to be in Montreal, Canada, maybe Canada in general. I mean, it just a lot stronger and a lot more of a uh, a scene and a family and a uh, a reality than it is down here in the states. Yeah, can I just ask you quickly, Mark? You, you're you're outsider coming in. You saw how it was backstage. You saw how the media and the the, the promoter and everybody was together. It really wasn't a business proposition. It was it was like you said, like a family, right? You you got a different perspective. Yeah, it had a community vibe to it. Much like what Lollapalooza used to do down here in the States back in the 90s where it was just – it wasn't just a concert. It was an, an overall community coming together to celebrate the things that they love and that that was what Heavy Montreal was to me. But in unlike Lollapalooza, it was, it was heavy metal. It was hard rock and heavy metal. Now, not to counter what Mitch said earlier, but I would say that a lot of people say that that's exactly why these cruises are absolutely astounding. Price point forgiven, I hear you, Mitch, but that's what it is. It feels like it's a community. It feels like everyone's in it together. And I think in general, that's a great theme to end on, this idea that we're seeing this more and more. In fact, I would even say that artists, artists that typically wouldn't play together are now even playing together and doing things together Mm -hmm. and really sort of creating this 
Bond that I don't think I know for sure we wouldn't have seen uh, back when I was a teenager enjoying the music as well. Guys, I think that was a great roundup of the stuff that touched us and didn't touch us in, in 2014. This has been Metal Raps number eight. We will be back really, really soon with Metal Raps number nine, and we'll speak to you soon. Now, okay, did cool. you want me to so, go back and just fix that so you can say where people...